You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here this week with, of course, your weekly dose of historical true crime because the good old days weren't always that good. So before we get started, just a few pieces of business to get through. Don't forget about our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash old timey crimey where we have bonus episodes for you at the $5 level. You can get our weekly old tiny crimies where we do a little shorter snack bite size level episode. And then, and those are really fun because we're telling each other a story that the other two haven't heard or don't know. So there's that, that fun little element of, Hmm, what might happen next? And because for the regular episodes, we've all researched, we know, you know, at least the basic facts of the case, although sometimes Scott and I might miss out on some incest uh, that Amber picks up on. So <laughs> I always look for the weirdos. <laughs> you do. So, yeah, you can come on over. Just come on over and give it a try. It's month by month, as far as I'm aware, at least. Uh, I have a pa- I'm a patron to a, a couple podcasts, so, you know, I'm pretty sure it's month by month. So give it a try. Listen to some, some of the content there. There's so much to binge. We have over 50 of the tiny episodes, and we're working on building up our library of the, the extras, extras that we're doing monthly. And this past, this month, January, or when this airs, it might be February, but whatever, January's episode was video. So everybody got to see our pretty faces as we talked about murders. So, and with that all aside, should we talk about an Australian outlaw? I am so psyched for this. This is like if Iron Man was born in the 1900s and decided to be a criminal instead of, instead of whatever the fuck he was, a comic book character. (laughs) Yes, we are talking this week about Ned Kelly. He's a a figure who still seems to inspire some controversy even to this day. He was born Edward Kelly in December 1854 or June 1855. Let's just get it over with. Source is very wildly. And he was born in Beveridge, Victoria, where maybe they had lots of frosty drinks. I don't know. It's not spelled the same way as Beveridge the drink, but it's it's the joke was there. It was hanging very low on the tree and I kind of had to grab it. So his father was John Red Kelly. And if you're guessing he was an Irishman, he was originally. Then he was banished to Australia for the horrific crime of stealing two pigs. What the fuck, Ned? You steal two pigs. Well, this is Red, actually. This is Red that stole the two pigs. This, this Ned's dad. Ned and Red. It's it's fun. It's it's like Dr. Seuss up in here already. <laughs> this, this isn't going to cause any confusion at all. I've had Not so much all. cough syrup today, I can taste collars. <laughs> and, yeah, it's just, it seems like, my God, the, the punishments. I know that in, in England, up to a certain point, you could be convicted to to death for just stealing just pickpocketing even so i'm not all that surprised but still it's like well you stole two pigs out of the country with you they transported him to australia when he was 21 years old and he was one of 50,000 irish people transported between the late 1700s and the mid 1800s 
altogether from honest they just wanted to get rid of the irish well, it seems that way, but it's he's not a, a the, the Irish aren't alone. They wanted to, the Brits wanted to get rid of the Brits too, because altogether between Britain and Ireland, there were a hundred and sixty-two thousand transported to Australia that's during a, that time period. Wow, that's a lot of people. That is how Australia became uh, white. <laughs> so <laughs> now you know. So once his sentence was done, he, he was sentenced to six to seven years. Uh, he got a job as a bush carpenter on the Quinn farm. Bush carpentry, I'm just going to go ahead. I, I pulled up the Wikipedia entry real quick because I forgot to look it up earlier. Uh, it's a term used in Australia and New Zealand that refers to improvised methods of building or repair uh, using available materials and an ad hoc design. So just kind of MacGyvering the crap out of whatever's around, I suppose. I love See, the I... fact that that show is so popular. It's become a verb. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> See, I wasn't going to look it up because I really enjoy Bush Carpenter as a job because it just sounds so fun. It's it's like the, the female fluffers, I guess, in, in my <laughs> head. And so I'm just going with that because it's funnier my way. I yeah, actually, with all, oh, go ahead, Christy. I was just going to say, with all these references to Bush, I expect you two to have a lot of fun this episode. See, oh, absolutely. See, to me, my dad taught me bushcraft. I can I can take a hatchet <laughs> and make a bowl. And it's just like, it's <laughs> I just, know bushcraft. I know bushcraft. I can do some bushcraft. And, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, it's hard for me to see that as dirty because it's like, you know, son, if you're ever out in the woods and you need a fishing pole, let me teach you how to make one from a reed and... And I'm gonna get you to teach you how to do some fishing lines from, from from birch bark and get even some bait from these little worms that live in bulges inside the weeds. <laughs> Instead of like my dad sent me aside and going, whenever you frost the bush, you gotta separate the hair up with aluminum foil. It I, the two don't go inside my head like that. <laughs> I well, know witchcraft too, but mine's very different. <laughs> the two. I've seen you at uh... work. You're very good. <laughs> oh dear the two that wasn't the only thing he did he also did some gold digging but not like a 19 year old marrying an 80 year old actually literal gold digging. he's a gold digger <laughs> i'm not finishing that phrase nope <laughs> no nope. please don't so when he was 30 he married ellen quinn she was 18 and his boss's daughter little workplace romance there and they had eight children. Uh, Ned was the third born, but he was the eldest son, which would come into play here. Now, a little context about this time period in Australia. The, the gold rush had come, as evidenced by the fact that Red Kelly was gold digging, uh, had come to Melbourne. But th there were lots of poor people just everywhere. Uh, the Kellys were poor farmers. And in addition to the Irish factor... You know, there was also a lot of other discrimination and oppression. But I, one source said that Australia didn't allow Irish or Irish Australians to go to school or own horses. But he did go to a school and got enough education to read and write and school until age 11. So I don't know what the deal is with that, but he did get some schooling. I, I imagine there might have been if that law is true, there might have been some skirting of the law, you know. Mm hmm. So there was also an economic, socioeconomic kind of factor here between two groups of people in uh, the, the state of Victoria in Australia at this time. Now, these two 
groups of people were squatters and selectors. And one of them is downtrodden, but it's not who you expect. You the would think selectors? it would be. The selectors are downtrodden. I know. The selectors are downtrodden. But they're able but to select. <laughs> I know. They're not squatting. They're able to select. Beggars can what... be choosers. <laughs> Apparently, in this case, very much so. The squatters were there first, and they tended to be uh, from upper and middle class families in England and Scotland and had come in. Don't you mean Scotland? Scotland, nice. Thank you. They had come you can in. Shoot me later. <laughs> grabbed the best land for pasturing sheep or cattle and usually, you know, made sure there was some river frontage in there. And, but they just kind of squatted on it. And then the gold rush resulted in a population boom around the 1850s. And so the government was trying to redistribute these people. And so they established the land acts, which made it so selectors could basically do like a rent to own situation. They, in Victoria, it was one pound per acre on half of the cost and then the rent on the other half for seven years. So not a bad deal, except for the fact that the squatters were already there. And so they had to like fight them for the good land that they were paying money for. And so the squatters became known because they were, you know, like a lot of them were upper class. They became known as the squatocracy. Oh. Oh, well, that was fancy. When I first read that word, I was like, is this in another language? What's happening here? I mean, it's Australian. It might as well be. I, it's not quite. I can understand Australians perfectly well. I translated for one in a salon in France. I don't speak Vegemite. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and do a blanket apology to our Australian listeners for anything and everything Scott says in this episode. And you know what? May as well just get it out of the way. Every episode preceding this and every episode thereafter. Just the Australians. Yeah. You you Polish people are just fucked. <laughs> The, the hilarious thing is, I've got so many Australian friends. Not anymore. <laughs> no, no, you you don't get it. It's it's a whole different it, it's a whole different level of cursing down there. Yeah, it it really <laughs> is. It's you can say the c word with wild abandon, but don't use the phrase wanker. That'll get you in trouble. Oh boy, that's the one thing that. Always makes me nervous about going to other countries that I'm terrified that I'm going to screw up one of those tiny little details that you might not find beforehand. And oh, so, yeah. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. Uh, I'm sure our listeners know I'm a huge Transformers fan. Uh, a few years back, they put out a Transformer called Spastic. Whoops. That's worse than saying motherfucker in England. Because it's essentially making fun of a disability, spastic paralysis. Calling someone a spaz, calling a transformer spastic, oh no, 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 no. You don't do that. So imagine, imagine if you will, and I'm only going to use this word one time, this is it. Imagine if you would, if they turned, like, put out a transformer here in America and called it retard. That's essentially what they did in England whenever they they created spastic. Wow. Yeah. So all these toys now, and you can look it up, spastic transformer, all these toys, they had to put a black sticker over where it said spastic, and they renamed it drag strip. 
So that is like <laughs> one great example. Like spastic over here, call it, quit being a spaz. A kid can say that to their little brother or sister. But in England, oh, that's gonna, you're going to get a backhand and some fucking therapy out of that. I think there is actually some offense taken at the word here in America. Not as not as much as in, in England, if, if that was the case with the Transformer. But there is some offense taken just because, you know, uh, it, it's a part of so many disorders. I mean, I, I just have a very simple disorder, essential tremors. Yesterday, I flung my own phone in my face. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. And you could, you know, call me that. And I mean, I'd, I'd get a little upset because you're picking at a particular detail. I guess I wouldn't be super upset if somebody called somebody else that just because they were being silly. But yeah, it, it, I think there is some sensitivity to it here. But so while Ned was a child, he actually rescued another kid from drowning. And the family of this child gave Ned a green silk sash as a thank you. And keep that in mind. It'll come back eventually. We're, and now, do, do us a favor. Head on over to our Twitter. Head on over to our Facebook page. I'll make sure that there's a picture of that sash up there. Uh, I'm thinking Saturday around 8 p.m. If you want to see you? a picture of that sash, yeah, Saturday at 8 p.m. Are you doing the social media as we speak, Scott? Dude, I always do the social media <laughs> as we speak. I knew it. I heard the clicking. <laughs> Still not me. <laughs> it was you. you Look, guys. no. Here's my keyboard. Listen, I'm going to put in, I'm gonna, just going to write in Twitter here. Did you hear that? I, I heard that. Yes, I heard clicking, not not typing. Oh, damn it. That. Your, your mouse. I hear your mouse. God damn. I'm going to have to hear a quiet mouse. <laughs> so Ned's father was kind of going through some things. He got arrested for having uh, some some unaccounted meat. He couldn't he couldn't say where he got the meat. <laughs> yeah. Un unaccounted meat. Episode I could title. really go for some of that. Writing it down. I bet you could, you filthy whore. I know. I need some <laughs> unaccounted meat. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Uh, well, it wasn't good for Red Kelly because he got arrested in 1865 and ended up uh, doing some heavy drinking and then dying the following year in 1866. Of the dropsy. Of the dropsy. That's a drop bear. <laughs> so uh, Ned was the eldest son, and so he pretty much had to step up. Now, the family did some moving around at this time, and they ended up in the Greta district in northeast Victoria, Ellen's family was there at 11 Mile Creek, and so she went there to be closer to her, her family. And the thing was is that these are not the best influences on a developing boy. They had pretty much the worst reputation in the whole area. Almost all the males in the family had ended up in jail for horse and cattle theft. They would just borrow a horse for a trip and then... At the end of the trip, they just let it loose, which I don't know. I wasn't able to find. But if the whole Irish people can't have horses thing was still true then, I get it. <laughs> what What the fuck? That's a weird stereotype. If we didn't allow a certain segment of people to have cars, I wouldn't super blame them when everybody else is allowed to have cars for stealing some. Is stealing right? No, but if you're going to ban people from owning something, but only a segment of the population, that's incredibly unfair and also really, really detriments their ability to make a damn living and travel and do all these things. It, you don't have freedom of movement. 
you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, so yeah, there was a lot of horse and cattle theft in the family. And so Ned was like, I have to support my family now. So crime, that's, that's what I'm seeing around me. I'm going to support my family with crime. And he became friendly with a gentleman named Harry Powers. Harry Powers was a popular bush ranger. Harry, and was Harry a popular bush ranger? Harry, Harry was a popular bush ranger. Harry was a popular bush ranger. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he was now, a dirty dog. Originally, a bush ranger was an escaped convict who hid in the bush, but eventually the term evolved and it became also highwaymen and thieves who worked out of the bush. And that's what Ned Kelly and Harry Powers were when Ned Kelly became sort of an apprentice to Powers. I'm a wicked bush ranger. I live a life of danger. I'm done. I'm done. That's the best I can do today. Normally I, I get a chorus out, but I'm done. It was very good. Thank you. <laughs> so they they did at one point, they had a plan for a, a crime they were going to commit together. They got shot at. And then thereafter, there was a little rift. And there's no real reason cited for the rift between Powers and Kelly. My guess would be, you know, Kelly was pretty young. Being shot at that young maybe inspired a little bit of regret or fear in him. And he kind of like backed out or something. That's just my best guess from... Um, not knowing much of anything. So you know what though? I thought I saw something where where power got busted and then blamed Ned for possibly turning him in. Well, I think that's later. A little oh, bit okay. later that that happens. Not not this was like really, really early on in their relationship. So yeah, the, it, he kind of was seemed like he was on his own. And at age 14, he was arrested for robbery. He had stolen 10 shillings from a Chinese man named, and it sounds like I'm being racist, but I swear to God I'm not. Oh, fuck. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> I love it. I, I, love, I love how Tim and Christy said that. Oh, fuck. <laughs> It was more regretful, but a couple a couple of sources didn't list the man's name, and so I was like, "Why are they not listing his name?" And then I happened, I saw it in a newspaper article. I was like, "Oh, that's why." That's why. Yeah, <laughs> mystery solved. Now this was if if Kelly did this, it was his first attempt at bush ranging, or you know, semi successful. There were two men with him, but they went away before the robbery itself at first he couldn't get bail and then they delayed the trial for two weeks because Afuk couldn't speak english very well so they needed an interpreter but they didn't just have an interpreter hanging around in the bush so they had to have one come via coach and finally after like a couple of delays they granted bail which didn't matter because he was from a poor family and he, they couldn't afford it anyhow so in the actual trial Fook said that Kelly came up to him with a stick and said it was, it, I think the newspapers must have gotten this wrong because it said it was two to three fathoms long. And according to the newspaper, a fathom is six feet. So a 12 to 18 foot stick. Who's trying to use that as a weapon? Jesus Christ. That's some kung Somebody fu that bullshit. Wants to stay really far away. <laughs> I guess so. You smell bad, Gajin. <laughs> Oh, God. And he said, Kelly said to Fook, I'm a bush ranger. Give me your money. If not, I will beat you to death. 
Then Kelly followed him like half a mile up the road, took the money, hit him in the leg and the arm with the stick, apparently from very far away. Kelly's story was folk had come by and insulted uh, Kelly's sister and hit Kelly with bamboo. And so they also had a, a, a laborer, uh, William Gray, who worked for the family, testified to that, as well as a friend of the family. And it's interesting because this was he was 14. He was described in court as a boy about 20. <sighs> Love uh, it. About. Great I mean, eyewitness it, descriptions. They could just ask his age. Like, <laughs> I don't know. So what happened was the case was discharged. Because the prosecutor's evidence was unsupported, there wasn't really any actual evidence outside from eyewitness testimony, and that was conflicting, so they were kind of like, eh, we're going to toss this out. So, Kelly hooks back up with Power the following March, and they go on a spree of robberies, holding people up, and apparently, sometimes they would just stop and invade a farmhouse for a a nice home-cooked meal. I have this from the Melbourne Argus. The fellow, Power, along with his mate, Kelly, in the meantime, got to the eastern end of town and entering a hut, drove out the wife of Mr. Gregory and his family and making, after making a good meal and feeding their horses, made off, shouting at the, a dog belonging to Gregory, which was rather inclined to be demonstrative. So, yeah, they would just, like, drive out the, the actual residents of a, a home and then grab whatever was lying around for food, uh, and then... Insult a dog and leave. Exactly, yeah. Makes sense to me. This this spree of robberies kind of inspired quite a manhunt. They had as many as 30 men scouring the bush for the two of these guys. I was waiting for Amber to make a joke. Sorry, my kids are, like, freaking out upstairs, so I'm I'm staying on mute for a minute. No, that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. Let your kids freak out. Ooh, give one of them a suit of armor and see see what happens. <laughs> so, like, earlier today, they had uh, wooden brooms and were just trying to kill each other with them. So I feel like they need armor, actually. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That, I would love to see that fight. I'm just picturing just the tiny little... Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> so... Uh, Kelly was caught in May of 1870. Power was still out there. Uh, the newspaper said Kelly was, quote, much exhausted through exposure. So he'd been out in the elements for a bit. He was charged with robbery in company and highway robbery under arms. It's very hard to steal a highway. I've tried. I know, right? I mean, you got to really get out there with like the... the, the I was going to say sledgehammer, but jackhammer with the jackhammer. And that gets a bunch of noise. And it's like, you can't keep it hidden for very long. No, no. Five minutes at best. Yeah, right. Before the neighbors complain about the noise. Right. And it's odd. If you're trying to steal a highway, honestly, the morning is the worst time to do it. Everybody's (laughs) sleeping and it's a very loud endeavor. Yes, it is. You're going to wake people up. So. I liked how sometimes the newspaper referred to Kelly as the youngster or one of them referred to him as Power's Cub with Power being the old fox. Ooh, that's pretty awesome, quite honestly. It's already good for a movie. Yeah. And it only gets better. <laughs> so this, now keep in mind, he Kelly had been caught 
but power was still out there and the newspapers were kind of like, you know, all right, so what's going to, what's going to happen between the two of these and what's going to happen with Kelly. I really liked this quote that I got from a newspaper. It is well known that he professes not to care for his life, but we rather inclined to think that however well he might be armed. If he was met by a firm, bold man, equally well armed, he would give in. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not. Pretty, pretty wrong on that account. Spoilers. And, uh, <laughs> They add, we hold the same opinion of power, but might be mistaken. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, wow. you're mistaken on the first one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you done fucked up. You're wrong. You're wrong, son. F on this <laughs> pop quiz. So they managed to scrounge up three different charges of highway robbery. And for one of them, the he was not identified. They couldn't find somebody to positively ID him. For a second, they couldn't find the person who'd been robbed, so that makes it a little harder. And then for the third one, they brought out a warrant and managed to keep him for a little while longer, but then still, the the crime was discharged, so he's out. Power is still at large. Powers. And uh, Kelly, when he's let out, there's some theories about it, because it was no not really clear why he'd been let out. So... They were like, well, did he lie about being a compatriot of powers? Did he snitch? Um, did, did, did Was it the cops just couldn't prove that he was hooked up with powers? There was a lot of like, hmm, what's going on here? And no real clear answer. So that did definitely start some rumors that he had snitched on his sort of mentor, on good old Harry, the popular Bush Ranger. <laughs> so, I love that name. I know, right? And at this point, he's on the police's radar because of all this. Now, Powers, Power was apprehended in June of that year. And the idea that Kelly was a snitch got uh, even stronger. They, they, the paper had another term for it, a black tracker. I've got nothing to say that isn't racist. I know. Sometimes I like to uh, really just frustrate you. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> Sorry. So, but also, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so that idea gets a lot stronger. And Kelly, in fact, writes a letter to the police sergeant begging for help. And it turns out the snitch, there was one. It was not Kelly. It was his uncle who got 500 pounds for snitching on powers. So. I, I love the line from the note. Um, it was uh, Sergeant James Babington of Kyneton that he uh, that Kelly wrote for help. The line from the note was, everyone looks on me like a black snake. <laughs> and what did Jack yeah. Lloyd, his uncle, get? 500 pounds. Fuck that. Yeah, right? Yeah. This is, he's really still just a kid at this point, too. So... There was another dust-up in the fall of that year, and he caught two charges. And this is a really interesting series of events that happened here. So I'm going to go, I'm going to do it charge by charge. Uh, so the first charge is indecency. What happened was there was a man named Jeremiah McCormick, and there was sort of a pass-the-parcel game kind of going on here. Not actually a game, but... Uh, Kelly's friend 
to a Kelly, to a young cousin, or possibly the other direction, somebody, one of them gave McCormick's wife a parcel. What the parcel was, was bull testicles. <laughs> as Merry Christmas. Um, and they were wrapped, just to add insult, in an indecent note. And just a sidebar here. Why does the paper need to note that she was childless? Like, what does that have to do with anything unless, you know, what? maybe the bull testicles were, were to make her more fertile? Mm, maybe. Yeah, maybe trying to help. Hey, ma'am, if you like these, take a look at what's in my pants. Puts <laughs> so, these to shame. <laughs> that resulted in a small fine and three months hard labor. But this confrontation wasn't over. It had only just begun. And that led to the next charge assault. Uh, according to McCormack, he rode his horse about five yards from me. He then said, I will ride my horse over over you and kill the bastard lot of you, you bastard wretches. Bastards? He then jumped... Oh, there's more. He <laughs> then jumped the horse upon me and knocked me down. I fell against John Lloyd and knocked him down. He then rode about ten yards further away and said, come on, you old bastard and fight me. He held up a stirrup iron and leather in his hand. Well, yeah, it's lots of lots of bastards going on there, and it's not over because Kelly was like, "Hey, uh, I didn't have a stirrup iron," and the prosecutor goes, "You're a bastard liar." Damn! <laughs> I really loved that word. Even the prosecution's getting in on it. <laughs> Man, I, did you hear like how they subdued him? Uh, go ahead. So it, it was a thing during this uh, during this. Uh, he was subdued with the assistance of seven bystanders and <clears throat> one constable Hall. Uh, he he pistol whipped Ned Kelly until his head became, quote, a mass of raw and bleeding flesh. Oh, dear. Wow. That's, that's rough. That's a rough day. Yeah. So Kelly uh, uh, supposedly in this whole confrontation punched McCormick and thereby came the assault charge. But Kelly's story was that McCormick accused him of stealing his horse. And that's why he assaulted him. He's like, but I had a reason. And he was sentenced to three months hard labor for that. And these sentences were cumulative. So one after the other instead of running concurrently. The following spring, he's released. It's a, a little over a month early. Within a few weeks, he's, he's back to his old tricks. He borrowed, stole, a horse from Isaiah Wild Wright, who was his brother-in-law's friend and also was a horsebreaker. And the thing was that Wright was borrowing the horse from someone else, probably stolen. And so soon after this, Kelly was caught riding the horse. Uh, a constable picked him up. Uh, actually, I think the... I think the pistol whipping happened in this case, maybe. There's so many horse thieves, it's hard to keep track. I think you're right. Like, I'm reading this because, like, uh, Kelly, Kelly described this horse as very remarkable. Like, almost oh, like he yeah. had, a, had, a, uh, had a crush on it. But, yeah, I'm seeing it here. Constable Hall. Yeah, I think that might have been the one because, yeah, he was really, this was, a, this was quite a fight. The constable, Constable Hall picked him up. Kelly resisted. Uh, and Constable Hall tried to shoot him. Then Kelly gets the better of him. Now he's straddling Hall, and he gets Hall in the thighs with his spurs. 
so ouch. Like that's basically a whole bunch of very sharp pointed things going into your flesh. And yeah, this this I have as the one where it was seven witnesses had to settle down Kelly so that, uh, just so that the constable could pistol hit him. So <laughs> they're like, settle down. We need to smack you around the face with a gun. I'm going to turn your skull into hamburger. Well, now I have a lot of motivation to settle down. If that's what's going to be the end result, come on. <laughs> so, and the thing was, when Wright originally took the horse, Kelly had been in jail. And so he did end up with a lesser charge of it, the paper had a different line for it, the actual term, but I call it receiving stolen horse. So. <laughs> of course. I mean, that makes the most sense. Yes. So Kelly and his brother-in-law get three years hard labor sentences while Wright, the guy who originally stole the horse, got one and a half years. There's a lot of injustice going on here. Yeah. I think that's the theme of this week, the tiny and the main show. Like, complete and total injustice. Yeah, yeah. So it's not really not really fair. In February 8th, I mean, yes. Do I think that he should have committed these crimes? No. But the, I think the person who originally stole the horse, like actually stealing rather than receiving a stolen property, should probably get a, a worse sentence. It just seems more justified. Yeah. So. Yeah, I get that. In February 1874, he is let out about six months early. And there's actually still some bad blood between Kelly and Wright. So in August 1874, they decide to let's get this bad blood out of the way. Let's let's sit down, just the two of us, and have a nice long talk. Let's just get all this, just all this this beef we have out into the open, or we could bare knuckle box each other. They did the second one. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> That's the way you settle arguments. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> they went 20 rounds. Kelly won. And after that, uh, he got Wright's brand new unwavering admiration and support, as well as the unofficial title of District Boxing Champ. Jesus. This is like a fucking comic book. This is this is a goddamn Japanese anime. Yeah, sure. We yeah. can we can sell this in the courts, but how about I just bare knuckle box you? And then like all of a sudden like he's fucking district champion. Now he's got to take on the the horrible Wakazashi brothers in a in a two for one spit swapping makeout match. Oh lord. The next month he has another stint in jail. This one is just riding over a footpath which I guess is like old timey Aussie words for jaywalking riding over okay. a footpath maybe fucking so, somebody's wife huh? no I actually had this as riding across the footpath and drunkenness okay well I guess yeah riding I guess a footpath is meant for walking meant for people to walk on if you have people on horses on them just willy nilly that's going to potentially endanger the pedestrians and also drunk so okay makes sense to me but I still like to call it uh, old timey Aussie jaywalking well because there was a, a big thing about this because Ned wasn't a drinker so, like, so do you think they like drummed up the charge 
uh, actually, what I have is that there was they actually suspected the police of spiking his drink. Oh my! Ooh, that is a spurious charge if I've ever heard one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, because I'm using spurious, right? Well, he, he was at a bar, and um, Constable Fitzpatrick was there as well. So they're actually the theory is that Fitzpatrick spiked his beverages. And my use of spurious is incorrect. I didn't mean it like that. Uh, we'll say dramatic. We'll go with dramatic. Uh, so I just double checked. I was like, no, I'm using the word spurious wrong. So <laughs> I do like that word, though, and I'm going to find several ways to use that this week. That's my new goal. Okay. So, yeah, apparently this this happened. Wow. And, yes, this during this riding over the footpath, possibly drunkenness thing, there's a scuffle with the cops and things get pretty dirty. Uh, Constable Thomas Lonigan actually reaches up and I guess uh, Kelly's pants had gotten ripped. And so Lonigan gets in there and squeezes his balls. Ah, <laughs> sorry. And there's another constable Fitzpatrick, he gets pretty well hurt in the encounter, so I kind of think of this as there's already bad blood, it's getting badder. So at this well, point... Lonigan actually, what I saw was that he squeezed his balls so hard, it actually caused Ned to have problems for the rest of his short life. Oh my. I didn't see like, that, that aspect at all. Oh, geez. So he actually caused like permanent or at least semi-permanent we don't know now um but some pretty serious damage well kelly was uh, pretty angry at this and rightfully so uh i should say he said if he ever shot a man lonigan would be the first yeah it's getting pretty there, there's a lot of beef between kelly and the police here and around this time Kelly's mother, Ellen, remarried to a man named George King. And King and Kelly decided that the best way to, you know, stepfather-son bond was to steal some horses together. Which, you know, hey, it's a great Saturday noon family activity. So, And in April 1878, Fitzpatrick is back around here. He comes to the Kelly house without a warrant. And tries to arrest Ned Kelly's brother, Dan, for horse thievery. According to this story is told in like five different ways. So I just picked a couple. According to the papers, uh, Fitzpatrick uh, arrested Kelly, Dan Kelly. But Dan Kelly was like, look, I'm, I'm a little peckish. I could use a bite to eat. Just a little, a little snack before we go in. And so if you would just allow that so I can, you know, go in there with a full stomach and not be hangry. And so Fitzpatrick was like, sure. And that gave Kelly and his mother a chance to pounce, at which point Mrs. Kelly starts wailing on Fitzpatrick in the head with a shovel. Kelly gets his gun out. He fires. He misses. And then as Mrs. Kelly is still wailing on Fitzpatrick with the shovel, Fitzpatrick puts his arm up in defense. Kelly shoots him again, probably aiming for the head, but because 
Fitzpatrick had put his arm up in in defense, he got he got him in the wrist. And also the shovel pretty much caved in one side of his new helmet. So she she, she got him good. They overpower Fitzpatrick. He's pretty much knocked out. Uh, everybody but Mrs. Kelly had a gun. They disarm Fitzpatrick when he wakes up, uh, but he escapes. And he's like, well, I won't, I won't, I won't turn you in for what happened. But uh, later he does. One story actually has that Dan Kelly was the one who extracted the bullet from Fitz, Fitzpatrick's wrist. And so, and that they bandaged him up. So, you know, he, he, I guess it's, there's a certain amount of, you know, sort of chivalry there. If, if you beat a guy up with a shovel and shoot him, you, you know, when he's unconscious, you bandage him up afterwards. It's just, it's the polite thing to do. Yeah. I, I love the fact that the Kelly Actually, you know, there was there was Fitzpatrick's version, and then there was Kelly's version of the events. Kelly actually wrote a letter to Superintendent John's, uh, John Sadlier and Parliamentarian Donald Cameron in December of 1878. And, like, you, you think of this guy as being just like, you know, kind of like this rough rumble and tumble. But no, he's kind of verbose. I, I love this. If, if I may read a little bit of the letter. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the witness which can prove Fitzpatrick's falsehood can be found by advertising, and if this is not done immediately, horrible disasters shall follow. Fitzpatrick shall be the cause of greater slaughter to the rising generation than St. Patrick was to the snakes and toads in Ireland. For had I robbed, plundered, ravished, and murdered everything I met, my character could not be painted blacker than it is at present. But thank God my conscience is as clear as the snow in Peru. He has a lot of uh, flourishes in there in his prose. I like it. The man knows how to use a simile. He does, yeah. And yeah, Kelly's story was, look, I wasn't even here. I was hundreds of miles away when all this happened. And, you know, Fitzpatrick threatened my mother with a gun. Dan and my mom tricked him and cornered him, got his gun and released him. And... Fitzpatrick wanted to pin us, pin something on us, so he shot himself in order to have a wound to share. And then there was a whole other story from another Kelly brother that Fitzpatrick came to the house drunk, hit on Kelly's sister, Kate, which wouldn't be surprising. He did have a reputation for uh, loving booze and bitches. And <laughs> I think we got a new podcast. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Amber, you want to get in on this one, too? I love booze and bitches, See? so I'm totally in. Yeah. I <laughs> wonder what it's about. There we go. <laughs> I, I listened to a podcast that could have been titled that the other night, the Porn Director's Podcast. The woman had a <laughs> butt plug in the entire episode. Oh, my God. I think I think it should just be us getting drunk and talking about people we don't like. <laughs> Yeah, there's only so much I can tell about my brothers. <laughs> well, we can go beyond that. We can go into politics. We can go into entertainment. Just every episode, we each pick somebody that we really just dislike, and we just bitch about them for a while. Booze and bitching. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, because of the hitting on the sister, a physical fight between Dan and Fitzpatrick ensued, and then... And it's funny because in this story, Ned was nearby. He showed up, tried to get the gun from Fitzpatrick, hurt his wrist, and that's the supposed gunshot. And Ned, Ned's like, 
first of all, again, hundreds of miles away. I don't know what my brother's talking about. Second of all, if I thought that guy had so much as touched Kate, he would not be here to tell the story right now. So that's it's there's, there's a lot of competing narratives going on here. So Kelly and his brother Dan are on the run. And Mrs. Kelly and her baby were arrested. I just seeing that phrase, Mrs. Kelly and her baby were arrested. I was like, what did you have teeny tiny handcuffs or what? No. Well, the baby was still at her breast because it, she, she had only had the baby a few weeks before this. I, I understand that. But saying the baby was arrested is has got to be imprecise. <laughs> because okay. All right. Fair. She was arrested with her baby. Okay. Okay, I can go with that. But Mrs. Kelly and her baby were arrested. I was like, ah, no, no. So anyhow. And so Mrs. Kelly and two men who were present uh, were charged with aiding and abetting attempted murder. Now, some of the facts do seem to lend credence to the, the alternate stories told, the stories that weren't Fitzpatrick's version. There was a doctor who said Fitzpatrick smelled like alcohol and he wasn't even really sure that the bullet wound was a bullet wound. But still, Mrs. Kelly and the others are found guilty. The men get six years and she gets three years with hard labor. She's 46 at this point. But even in, in, in law enforcement, there's some, some opinions that this sentence was too much for, as they called her, the old woman. Aww. She's, hey, she's life crazy. expectancy was not nearly that great. <laughs> that is true, but still kind of a little bit of a, a slam there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not keen on that. I'm 47 this year. Yeah. So this was sort of the impetus for everything that happened next. This was the, 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 the spark that lit the fuse. The Kelly gang has formed on the outside. It is the core group is Ned Kelly, Dan Kelly, Steve Hart, and Joe Byrne. There's other people kind of in orbit around them and who is many people who assist them, but that's the, the, the core four. They're all, they have a lot in common. All Irish Catholic, all selector's sons, all uh, ex-convicts having been taken in for horse or stock theft. They're all young and they're all available, ladies. Hey. <laughs> sort of, because Ned, one source said that he seemed to have something going on with his cousin, Kate Lloyd. And... Uh, Kelly gang member Steve Hart had a sister, Eddie. He might have also had something going on with her. So Why not um, both? Uh, a, a lady in every port, I suppose. And Steve Just Hart so was the, their family, because you want to know what you're sticking your dick into. Yeah, apparently. Steve Hart was the youngest of this gang at 19. It was said that he had claimed that he would have, quote, a short life, but a merry one. Aww. Yeah. And so the gang is on the run. They're hiding in the one of the most Australian place names I've ever heard. And Australia has some very Australian place names, as one might imagine. But they're hiding in the Wombat Ranges. I love it. <laughs> Me too. 
Ned Kelly does, he continues his literary career here. He writes a lot of letters. They're said to be either either help or transcription by Byrne. And the police start gathering funds because they want to offer a reward. It's not just, you know, like, oh, well, that's a little bit of encouragement. No, they think that they don't have any chance. Otherwise, there it's 100 pounds for any info that will lead to Ned's capture and arrest. And the local inspector says, quote, I think the chances are the police may hunt for him for a long time before they will succeed in arresting him. And I do not see much chance of obtaining any information about him unless I can pay for it. And he said that to the chief police commissioner. So, yeah, they know that the locals are not on the police side here. And so they're trying to use money to kind of make them open up a little bit. Well, I can understand why the locals weren't on the police's side. It's same here. Yeah. I mean, going back to the testicles, uh, a Miller walks in whenever Kelly was getting his testicles forcibly drunken. And he actually saw them and he went, uh, he, he looked at the police and he looked at him like, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Wow. And yeah. He was, he he was actually right. the one, he was actually, the Miller was the one that said, Kelly, go ahead, put on the handcuffs. He, he was the one that, that kind of told Kelly, yeah, put them on. And yeah, the police should be ashamed of themselves. You don't squeeze a man's testicles unless your testicles are in danger. Or unless he asks for it, but Ex- literally by exactly. saying, like, squeeze my balls. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some stuff involving a whole plywood and uh, some, some high-heeled shoes that make me wince. But if that's what floats your boat and finds your lost remote, go for it. <laughs> There's also the fact that the gang, they, they know the lay of the land so much better than the police do. So they're going to be able to hide very effectively. The police at at one point think they might be hiding in a cave. So they go out on a search party in October of this year to Stringy Bark Creek. The gang had been on the run for like six months or so at this point. And this search party has four members. Those are Sergeant Kennedy plus three constables. The very familiar name, uh, Lonigan the Ball Squeezer. McIntyre and Scanlon. I want to see his family crest. <laughs> yeah, right. It's quite the coat of arms. What are those two orbs? This picture, why is there a hand in them? Why is there a black power fist up there squeezing <laughs> two planet Earths? <laughs> so the sergeant and Scanlon on October 25th, they go out on, you know, in their search party, they leave camp to hunt down the Kelly gang. And meanwhile, back at camp, McIntyre and Lonigan are holding down the fort there. And McIntyre shoots at some parrots and that tips off Kelly, which is just kind of funny. It's like, we're, we're, shh, be very quiet. We're hunting outlaws. Bang, bang. <laughs> Like, it's just so dumb. Very Elmer Fudd-esque. Yeah, I have thoughts about McIntyre. So, now... Dirty thoughts? No, thoughts of uh, he's doing a lot of this on purpose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of obvious. Yeah. I'm not saying Ned Kelly was a fucking angel. Far from it, but definitely McIntyre had it out for him. No, I think think McIntyre is... Helping, you think so? 
I think he's helping Kelly. I really do. <sighs> okay, let's let's we'll, we'll we'll set out the facts. Okay, and then we'll see what's what. Okay, so hearing these shots, Kelly scopes out the camp and he sets up a little ambush. That evening they strike. So first the the gang comes in and they say, "Bail up! Hold up your hands!" And then a little standoff of sorts starts. So Kelly is aiming at McIntyre and it looks like he's about to shoot him. Lonigan reaches for his gun. And at that moment, Kelly moves the gun over very cinematically and shoots Lonigan dead, even though later he would say it was in self-defense. So right there, you've got, okay, he didn't shoot McIntyre. He has every chance to shoot McIntyre. And so they take, the gang takes the guns from the police and they grab some of the supplies from tents and such. And they're like, okay, McIntyre, you got to tell us where the rest of the search party is. McIntyre does. And he also adds, he's like, look, here's the thing, guys. You, your gang, us, the cops, we're all Catholic. We're all Irish. You got to have some mercy because we're, we're, we're brothers here, you know? Like, like, come on. <laughs> and so McIntyre asks, he says, if we surrender, will you let us go? And Kelly says, well, if you surrender, I won't shoot you. Not the same as letting you go, but I won't shoot you. And I will hold you at the camp overnight because <laughs> let's just, I'm sorry. I've been on the run for a while. I need my beauty rest. I got, I got these bags under my eyes that no lotion will touch. I just, I got to get my eight hours in. And so McIntyre is like, all right, I will try to get a surrender. And Kelly's like, oh, by the way, I also think you should quit the police force. And McIntyre's like, yeah, I've been thinking that too lately. Well, he's going to say anything, anything to get out of the trouble that he's in right now. Hell, whenever, whenever Ned asked McIntyre where their search party was carrying so much ammo, McIntyre lied to him against to shoot kangaroos. I mean, but it's an obvious lie. It's the kind of lie that you could tell somebody and they'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. It's If, if you believe that, that's fine. Are you saying there are yeah. no kangaroos in Australia? I'm not saying. <laughs> yes. Yes, Scott. I am declaring here and now on this day that there are no kangaroos in Australia. They are as mythical as drop bears. That is the name of my punk band, No Kangaroos in Australia. <laughs> Your first album is they're as mythical as drop bears. As mythical as drop bears. That's exactly <laughs> so, right. So all these shots and everything draw in Sergeant Kennedy and Constable Scanlon. And the gang at this point is like, all right, so we got to just hang around and lie in wait for them. Then we'll ambush them when they get here. So Kennedy and Scanlon arrive. McIntyre goes up to them and he's like, look, um, the, the Kelly gang is here and uh, I need for us to surrender. Kelly comes out. He says, put your hands up. Kennedy thinks that this is a joke. He thinks that that's one of the cops impersonating Kelly. And this is all just, oh, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Nice little prank, guys. So he goes to, to jokingly touch his gun. Kelly shoots him but misses. There's some more shots exchange. And then Kennedy and Scanlon are both hit with final with fatal shots. Both work, and, final and fatal. Yes, that is true. Yeah, they, they do both work. <laughs> and there's some scavenging of the dead bodies. The gang makes up with their stuff. And McIntyre 
escapes. I just, I think, okay, maybe he wasn't necessarily trying to help Kelly, but I don't think he was putting a lot of energy into trying to catch him either. I I think I think at first he had every intention of catching him and then and then towards the end of it whenever it wasn't going well for him yeah he's going to say whatever he wants to get out of the thing out of it and I think if he would have had any any chance to put a bullet in Kelly at that point he would have done it See I disagree I think him using that whole line about, hey, we're both Irish, we're both Catholic, you know, we're, 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 we're from the same background. I think that's almost like projection on his part because that's what he's been thinking all along. He's like, I don't want to catch and possibly shoot some boy who's from the same background as me who I sympathize with, you know, that's, that's my view. Well, we're just going to have to dig him up, perform a ritual, and ask him. Again... God, is this the only way we can settle arguments on this show? Yeah, Can't we necromancy. <laughs> it is effective. So. When it's done right. Yeah, right. When it's not done right. Oh, boy. You have my sword. And my bow. <laughs> and, and these dead bodies that used to be your family. We will avenge your family. <laughs> The upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who perform heinous acts. I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories from the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee and subscribe to Upper Left Corner on whatever podcast platform you're listening to right now. A murder so incompetent, it took nine people to successfully commit it. And yet they would have gotten off scot-free if not for one mayor who took a first stab at crime scene investigation. A young woman whose heinous crime would have gone utterly unpunished if not for a chemist. And a clever kitchen maid. How forensics was used during the Salem witch trials. Check out these cases and more with me Christy Baxter, as we explore the history of forensic science on Detectives by the Decade. From pseudoscience to junk science to, well, actual science, from toxicology to trace evidence, from the evolution of the detective to DNA, eventually. And so, so much more. We look at the cases, the scientists, the detectives, and the criminals to find out how forensic science came to be. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. This is actually, to, to go on a slightly more serious note, the largest 
mass murder of law enforcement in Victoria till this very day. And it causes a lot of controversy. There's a 500 pound reward offered and the government gets in on on this. They pass the Felons Apprehension Act quite quickly that gives leave for anyone, not just law enforcement, anyone to shoot members of the Kelly gang on site. No questions asked. Shoot first and don't even ask questions later. Just walk away and get your reward. <laughs> so, yikes. And they, they are offered the opportunities to surrender, but there's an expiration date on that. And it's like within a week and a half of this being announced. And if you want to just help the Kelly gang, well, I hope you enjoy your up to 15 years in jail. Yeah, maybe. What kind of jail are we talking? Uh, baby jail. It's like a playpen. Oh, that sounds awesome. You get a rattle and everything. It's kind of fun. Okay, now it's getting creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that rattle. That was a, that was a one step over the line. Like all I need now is like some like three hundred pound nurse that changes my diaper. Isn't it? No, no. <laughs> I've seen this video. Now, while all this is going on in the government and law enforcement, the gang is still on the run. And in December, they're like, you know what? It's time for boys. It's time for a crime spree, and boy, do they ever. I think this is one of the best crime sprees we've ever seen, guys. They First, they take over a sheep station, and they do their usual thing of, look, we just want a meal. We just want to feed our horses. They do that, but they also steal some clothes and a gun. They did try to pay for those, but they were refused, probably because the people at the sheep station was like, no, I'm not spending up to 15 years in jail because you wanted to borrow my underwear. Sorry. No. You know? Sexy. If you, if you take money from them, you could possibly end up in jail. So no thanks. Yeah. And I mean, if, if it's not if it's not your choice, if you're being held hostage, they're like trying to force their money on you. You're going to be like, nope, nope, you're, you're good. Keep your money. It's no good here. Let me tell you. There's... Uh, there's a little confrontation between Kelly and one of the men that they're kind of kind of holding hostage. No, definitely holding hostage. And so the man's like, who are you? And Kelly replies, I am Ned Kelly, the son of Red Kelly, and a better man never stood in two shoes. <laughs> That's called either confidence or ego. Either way, I like it. So I, I like at, at the station... Whenever they're getting the food, uh, the an employee named Fitzgerald he looks at led non, uh, uh, looks at Ned toying around with his revolver and kind of goes, "Well, of course, if the gentlemen want any refreshment, they must have it." Yeah, <laughs> I, I like I like the language and, and manner of doing these things. Like, you know, it, instead of just saying, "Well, he he has a gun, so of course I'm going to give him anything he wants." Mm -hmm. No, if the gentleman requires any refreshment. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very polite. Yeah, it is. We we need more of that in today's society. We certainly do. Instead of like, you know, guy like with a gun. First off, like the guy would like bust into like a 7-Eleven convenience store and go, "Motherfucker, give me a pretzel." <laughs> and like and the the guy behind the counter was to go, "Somebody get this motherfucker a pretzel." No, there's there's no there's no class in our crime anymore. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. There isn't. 
they they have a purpose for these clothes and, and gun. It's not just because they, they liked the underwear. They use that in their next venture, which is to go rob a bank, which they do even while they still have the hostages back at the sheep station. And on their way, they're prepping for the robbery by cutting down some telegraph poles and some wires. There's some railway wakers. That's always hard to say. Railway workers who, you know, kind of raise an objection to this idea. And they're like, okay, you're hostages too. <laughs> Here you go. Yep. So they do their bank robbing. And then have a whiskey with the bank manager at the manager's invitation. Again, class. Yeah. <laughs> they rob the bank, and then the manager's like, let's have a whiskey, boys. <laughs> the last time I've seen, like, real class like this, some, uh, God, I wish I could remember, it was, a, uh, it was a news anchor who was being held hostage by a guy wanting him to read his manifesto. The guy believed that his father and his, his mom had been replaced by alien robots. And the guy, like the, the newspaper reporter just went, like the news anchor just went, okay, I'll read it. He goes, uh, reads it off. And the guy, he goes, he goes, uh, looks at the guy and goes, I just want to say that was very well written. I'd like to shake your hand. And the guy just kind of looks at him stunned and shakes his hand and goes, he goes, oh, like he goes, I can't believe you did that for me. And the guy goes, oh, after all this time, you thought I wasn't going to do this for you. The police come in and draw a gun on him. Like the the guy hands the anchor the gun, and the guy the anchor goes, "No, don't hurt him, guys. He gave me the gun. I got the gun. It's okay. Don't hurt." I I feel like I don't know if you mentioned where this occurred, but it feels very Canadian. Oh my God! I will I will do some annoying typing, and I'll look it up for you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, if anybody knows this, actually, let's let's engage the listeners. Yes, if anybody knows this. Come and and sh share your knowledge with us uh, about this case that Scott just mentioned on our Facebook or our Twitter. Give us uh, old timey crummy on both. Come and come and tell us the thing that we can't think of right now, and tell us if it's Canadian. Tell me if I'm right, please. Or tell me if I'm wrong. But either one, whichever is the case. Honestly, <laughs> I hope somebody comes up with that because that'll be that'll be pretty fun. Scott be. is trying so hard not to look it up; it's driving him crazy. I can tell. That would be oh, oh, that would be great. I I I, I wanna I wanna just come up with it. Like I'm fighting everything I've got. I'm fighting everything I've got to uh, to fucking look this up. And uh, I, I know it's, somebody is gonna say David Horowitz. No, it wasn't David Horowitz. That was okay. a different thing. Um, but yeah. Oh, geez. It's so hard not to Google things, isn't it? Oh, God, it's so hard. The answer's right there. The Remember, there used to be a time when we didn't know and just wouldn't know? <laughs> All right. It's, yeah. it's Think of it as a, an exercise in self-control. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I won't be able to focus for the rest of the podcast. Solve Scott's frustration. All right. So the Kelly gang goes back to the sheep station hostages are still there. I mean, they had, they left a couple guys behind to, to keep the hostages, you know, hostage and they hang out some more and then they get ready to leave. They had basically, they had held these people hostage for probably around 30 hours or so with no one in the town, any the wiser. And I, this is where 
A criminal with a heart always gets me. Kelly was going to steal a guy's watch on his way out. Mr. And the McDougal. Guy was like, yes, Mr. McDougal. And he was like, um, I actually got that from my mother and she's passed away. And so Kelly was like, oh, nope, it's all good. You keep it. You keep it. Sorry about mom. <laughs> my condolences. And then they left. Like, I just, that's, there's something about a criminal. I Like, I, I hate that he's a criminal. But I love that he does have a heart and he has something of a conscience that he, he's not going to, he's going to see sometimes the error of his ways, even as he's about to do something. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he has the conscience enough to back out instead of being a hard nosed bastard about it. Well, he, he didn't even say, no, nope, I'm not going to take it. He goes, he actually looks at me and goes, sir, I wouldn't take that any under any circumstance. Yeah, it's 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 really it's nice. Yeah. Now, January 1879, the police are really trying to put the pressure on people here. So they round up 23 of Kelly's friends, toss them in jail, keep them there for the next three months with no charges. This is this is unconscionable. And definitely that's what the locals feel. They start getting pissed off. And so finally the friends are let out. Some of them are as many, as much as 50 miles away from their home, but they're just left to their own devices. As far as getting out They're well, like, there's no transportation, no money, nothing. None of them were given any money or transported back. It was yeah, none of them. So it wasn't like, well, we've got like $5. So we can give like five of these people, a $1 ticket back home. No, nobody had any money it was just it really was the cops were not much better than the criminals yeah yeah can't even split an uber yeah the police at this point still haven't learned their lesson about not pissing off the public in their methods and so they make a list of kelly's associates and they ban them from acquiring land <sighs> No you know then. guy, you'll never own a house. <laughs> Fuck you and your family. Yeah. Enjoy living in that refrigerator box. We don't even have refrigerators yet. So we February just call them boxes now. <laughs> it's a cold the cold box. There's not even ice yet. <laughs> February 1879, the gang decides let's crime even harder. It's it's crime spree too. Uh criming even harder. And they take over a police station. But, again, there's this heart to it sometimes, to some of the details. Now, so they have the, the people who are at the police station hostage. The constable, his wife. Now, the constable's wife, it was her job to... There was a chapel in the courthouse nearby, and she had to prepare it every day for mass. That was one of her little tasks. And so Kelly goes with her and helps her. He's like dusting stuff off and setting stuff up and just just like a little little freaking altar boy. I, I picture him saying stuff like a lot of stuff like, ma'am, may I help you carry that church pew? <laughs> Except Australian. -y. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. I can't I, I like I, I want to, but I can't. I know, I know it's hard. So yeah, it's just there's there's really there's definitely a lot more humanity. In him than we see in a lot of our criminals. So it's it's nice uh, for a while. So they you 
did this for a reason as far as taking over the police station. It wasn't just like, hey, that sounds fun. They get some uniforms and they use those to rob a bank in New South Wales. They make off with over 2,000 pounds and they also are like, hey, you know what we could do? We could burn up some mortgage paper so there's no record and people don't have to pay it. This didn't 100% work because there's this thing called making copies. And even in those days, they did it for at least some of them. Some of these these mortgages over in Sydney in a file cabinet or in a box somewhere, there were copies. So it didn't uh, at 100% do their goal, but it's it's nice that they tried. It was the thought that counts. It was the thought that counts. And so at this robbery, Kelly has some things to say to justify his crimes. All these words have been bubbling up in him. He wants the public to know why he's been doing what he's doing. So he had prepared a 7,300-word manifesto, and he hands it to the teller at the bank. Now, this came to about 56 pages. And he's like, he tells the teller, look, I want you to give this to the newspaper and I want them to publish it. I and love a good manifesto. It's, it, it is a very good manifesto. So the, the, the public only gets bits and pieces because that's all the public or that's all the government will allow them. But we have here, uh, there's a lot of complaints about the squatocracy and how they mistreated the selectors. There's also, of course, a lot of insults at the police. And this is my favorite. This might be my favorite thing ever. He calls the police a parcel of big, ugly, fat-necked, wombat-headed, big-bellied, magpie-legged, narrow-hipped, splaw-footed sons of Irish bailiffs or English landlords. Well. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I like I like in, in the bank, uh, the accountant that... that uh... That uh, Kelly's uh, Kelly's uh, <laughs> accomplice Burn uh, shows to uh, to the accountant Mister Living. Uh, the uh, it was written the shock caused Living to stutter, and it has been alleged that he stuttered for the rest of his life. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Something. Yeah. So Kelly ends this manifesto basically by saying, "My orders must be obeyed." So he's starting to. He's starting to take a little authoritarian bent here himself. Now, he seems to still have a friendly relationship with the locals. They go to hotels and, you know, have some have some drinks with some local people. The reward is now amped up. The new South Wales government and some banks get together and they offer £4,000. And Victoria's government is like, we we'll do the same. That's 4,000, another 4,000. So that'd be about one and a half million in Australia today. And I think roughly. <laughs> it's hard to, we don't do a whole lot of Australian crime. So I don't have that process bookmarked. So I'll, I'll get there. And, or otherwise, if I, if I didn't get that calculation, I got it from a source. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> Blame someone else. It's not our fault. <laughs> there you go. But the thing is, this is such a high reward that all the police want it. So all it does is create a lot of infighting. <laughs> like, it's everything they do is, is stupid and fails. 
So the public is also still very against the police, too. So even this huge reward, they're still kind of like, eh, probably not. I, well, mean, I caught off as a constable out there in the des hot desert outback sun, painting a black hole on the side <laughs> of a goddamn mountain with the with a sign that said, hey, Ned Kelly, money in here. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically them. He put a big pile of Vegemite in the middle of the road on a big X with an <laughs> anvil over the top. And the officer <laughs> let the anvil go and somehow it hit him in the head. I don't understand <laughs> it. And Ned went beep, beep and ran off. <laughs> We're really into the Acme assassinations today. I mean, it kind of gets into that. I mean, it's they're using devices here shortly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> things are quiet for a while. Uh, there was an incident where the captain of a ship goes to the police and he says, I think a couple of ladies came that were Kelly's sisters uh, inquiring about whether I would take on four to five men on my voyage to California. But even though they tried to do a little sting here, nothing happened and there wasn't really any clear evidence that the whole thing happened at all. And in April 1880, the Felons Apprehension Act expires, and a notice goes out that the reward from the government would, uh, come July, be canceled. So, you know, times are short. You better get catching a criminal if you want to cash in. The Then June 1880 comes, and this is sort of things start to intensify the police had kind of, all right, so Joe Byrne, a member of the gang, he had a lifelong friend, Aaron Sherritt, and Aaron Sherritt had been going to the police and giving them information and help, but it was really false. It was meant to lead them astray. The police figure that out, so they make Sherritt kind of an unwitting, unwilling double agent they make the gang think that Sherrod is on the police force's side in an attempt to draw them out. And right here, okay, this is devious, it's clever, it's smart, but just wait. So, the gang buys it, Byrne goes to the house of his lifelong friend, Sherrod, Sherrod opens the door, and Byrne just, bang, shoots him right there, Sherrod's dead. And because... They, the police were hoping to draw the gang out. They had Sherritt under police protection. Police were in his home. And the gang says, all right, we know you're in there. Come out and fight. And the police hide under the bed. That's not a euphemism. That's literally what they did. Well. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just picturing them hiding under the bed like, shh. They, they'll hear us. Stop. It's very dusty. Don't sneeze. Don't sneeze. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jenkins, quit playing with the dust bunnies. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is so. Holy shit. You had a plan. You actually could have done what you wanted to achieve. It's not even me taking a side. It's me just tired of seeing them fail over and over again, sometimes because of stupidity or blindness and sometimes because of out and out cowardice. Like, <laughs> so did you see oh. the picture of Sherritt? No, I did not. There is a portrait of Sherritt 
Um, <clears throat> I'll put it up on the social media. Sorry again. He's wearing a, a called a, a, a larrikin heel, and he's wearing a hat. But it, oh, the, the fashion was the chin strap rests under the nose. Yes, I had seen that actually. Yes, it looks like Salvador Dali in the outback. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's definitely it's a weird fashion. It's like why. Why was this a thing? Okay, all right. Yeah, that it couldn't have been comfortable either, having that, that chin strap under your nose. That's, Imagine that's just... sneezing. <laughs> yeah, right? God, that thing must have been filthy if you had a cold. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, that happens. And then the gang, all right, they have a plan. They're going to go off to, I meant to look up how to pronounce this, but I didn't. Glen Rowan? Glen Rowan. Which, which do you guys think I should go with? Uh, Glenrowan. I would go Glenrowan. Because it just sounds like you're ah. saying more Australian Glenrowan. Yeah, Scott, Scott makes a good case. Okay, I'm going to go with Glenrowan. And you know, the gang has a plan here. And this is, this, is, this is ambitious. They're going to establish their own government. The Republic of Northeast Victoria. You know... Okay. I know that bush rangers are like Australia's version of cowboys. And lots of similarities, you know, like happened around and after the gold rush and all that and and sort of, you know, some similar behavior, but I can't think of any maybe I'm wrong, but any time that American cowboys were like, let's make our own damn government. Um God, it feels like it should have happened. It feels like it should have happened and maybe it has, but I it just it, 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 I can't think of a time it was specifically a cowboy type. So no, I feel like our cowboys were more like fuck your government. So they didn't really care about making a new one because that's em. true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the gang goes to Glenrowan. They take over the train station there, and they get everyone into a hotel. Numbers vary anywhere from 30 to 60 hostages that they take and they have they have a goal here in mind they're not just taking hostages for no reason they want to exchange them for some prisoners that they want like for instance ned's mother they take the local constable prisoner they cut the telegraph wires and then they hang out with the locals and drink it's as, all very convivial as you do as you do and the next day, they have a little sports competition with their hostages. Ned participates while uh, while wearing his armor that he had. I think actually, Scott, do you have a description of the armor? I kind of relied on you for that because I kind of felt like that was that would be your thing. Let me take a look in my notes here. I was actually I was actually doing the social media as quiet as I could. Could you hear any clicking? You know, Scott, you could actually listen. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm working here. Yeah, but you could, you could do I'm working. I'm listening. I can do both. Like, it's, it's, it's a thing here where I'm, like, following along with the notes. You know, my notes. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that the listeners probably don't understand. The notes that Amber has are not the notes that I have are not the notes that Christy has. Yeah, we all do a different research. That's why when we say our sources at the end, there might be some overlapping sources, but they're never all the same. Right. So, so here's, 
here's uh, what I have about the armor. Now, the armor itself is, is essentially what I want you to think of is I want you to think of like armor from a knight. Uh, really, the the hands and the legs are kind of exposed. Uh, we have like a metal breastplate, and then we have what I would call a coffee can with a very thin slit for for the eyes. Um, he he comes out. He's dressed in the armor, three handguns, uh, and the police fucking freak. Like uh, some of the some of the onlookers said that they it was superstitious awe. Uh, Constable Arthur, the first policeman to encounter what? Kelly, goes, "I'm completely astonished. I could not understand the object I was firing at." Yeah, yeah. Well, that's down the line. We're yeah. still at the sporting games. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. One trooper there's, there's said it was a bunyip and could not be killed. A bunyip is essentially an Australian Bigfoot. One civil volunteer said it was the devil. And journalist Tom Carrington wrote, I want you to picture this in your head, and I realize this is in the future. But Tom Carrington said, with the steam rising from the ground, it looked all the world like the ghosts of Hamlet's father. With no head, only a very long, thick neck. It was the most extraordinary sight I ever saw or read of in my life. And I felt fairly spellbound with wonder. And I could not stir or speak. <laughs> My comparison, especially with the with the headgear, would be he reminds me of uh, you guys ever seen Lord Buckethead, Britain's Britain's guy. No, you've never heard of Lord Buckethead? I'm, oh my gosh! Okay, no, I haven't. I have okay, not so heard Lord, of Lord Buckethead. Okay. He was he was a candidate in the British general election. Um, and he's a self-described, this is all from The Guardian, he's a self-described intergalactic space lord. Nobody knows his real name. And he won 249 votes in the Berkshire contest. And it's not the first time a, a Buckethead, we don't know if it's the same Buckethead, one of them uh, went against Margaret Thatcher in 87, uh, got 131 votes. Another went against John Major in 92 and so Buckethead, in the in the most recent one, he campaigned on a platform of strong but, quote, not entirely stable leadership, end quote. He also had a manifesto, uh, which he, after the results came in, he said um, that he had, had been, had gotten a new Buckethead record. Okay. So, yeah. I, I, I found a picture. Oh, go ahead, Amber. I'm sorry. Okay, so it's a letterbox-style headpiece, which I really hope to mean like a mailbox because that's pretty much what it looked like. Um, they constructed the suits from mold boards, which are the thick metal parts of a farmer's plow. Um, they acquired these in various ways. They were bought, given to them by farmers, stolen. doesn't really matter. So they made these, and one of the advantages of these, aside from being metal is that it also made them appear larger. And it's almost like scaring a mountain lion, where if you appear to be a giant, you are going to frighten the people you're facing. For a second, now, I thought she was still talking about Lord Buckethead. Sure. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Ned Kelly. But the most important thing about Ned Kelly's particular armor is the sash he wore as a cummerbund under this armor, which was the exact same sash he received from the Shelton family when he saved their son's life. 
that is one of my favorite details. It's like it was a treasured memento that kind of meant something or symbolized something to him, a moment of heroism that he had. And I really like that. But I would like to punctuate this moment by sharing my screen, uh, Lord Buckethead for, for Scott and Amber. You, can you see that? That's, oh, yeah. That's his old suit. I am going to show you this photo I found of Lord Buckethead. And I'm not oh, going to okay. put this on the social media. Uh, this, uh, and I will uh, go ahead and present now to them. And this is British Prime Minister Johnson, uh, along with Lord Buckethead and Elmo. Ah, ah, I like, I like yeah. the black suit better. I it's do too. It's got kind of a Boba Fett thing going for it. Yeah. His, I don't know if this is real, but a couple of items from his 2017 manifesto uh, I found on Twitter along with that same picture. No third runway to be built at Heathrow. Where we're going, we don't need runways. Mm. Um, Buckethead on Brexit is number six. A referendum should be held about whether there should be a second referendum. Uh, uh, it's all very silly. Nuclear weapons, a firm public commitment to build the $1 billion, $1 billion pound renewal of the Trident weapon systems, followed by an equally firm private commitment not to build it. They're secret submarines. No one will ever know. It's a win-win. I, I love the it's fact that it looks like this guy made this out of like a spaghetti pot, which is why I'm <laughs> going to call him the Kitchen Pandalorian. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so so thank you for the descriptions of the armor. And also, I enjoyed that Lord Buckethead uh, diversion. And I might make that picture of him sitting in the chair very uh, regally, uh, my desktop background. So, um, okay, so we're back at the hotel where Ned is wearing or carrying his armor as they participate in a little sports competition with the locals. It's all, it's all very friendly, but they also have some work to do. They, it, there's a police train that's going to be coming to town and they need to derail it. But word gets out that makes that not happen. And so the special police train does, or at least the police make it to town with 50 police aboard at 3 a.m., the police surround the hotel, and a shootout begins. The gang does some shooting, too. They shoot the police superintendent in charge of the mission. They get him right in the forearm. And so he retreats, and now there's no commanding officer. It's just, it's just would do whatever. It's, it's a free-for-all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Byrne is shot in the leg. Ned Kelly is shot in the foot, the hand, and the arm. He bolts into the trees while Joe, Dan, and Steve hide in the hotel. Ned has an idea that, like, so they had a little army that they'd drawn up, some, some people they'd gathered to be at their assistance. But <sighs> there's some confusion. They, they were going to literally fire rockets for them to rise up. And I think the rockets were fired at the wrong time or when they wanted to warn the army away. And so there's some confusion there. It's all very chaotic. Rockets. The Why the fuck not? Yeah, right? Well, if you're starting your own government, you got to start with some rockets. Let's, How else? Let's load up gasoline-soaked koalas onto a catapult, light them on fire, and launch them into the police office. I mean, it's right there in our own national anthem. And the rockets, red glare. And the rock and the co and the koalas in share. <laughs> oh. hey, through through the night, eucalyptus was the. I'm done. 
I am on <laughs> so much fucking cold medicine. I've been muting. And the thing is, whenever I mute, I don't want like Chrissy go uh, uh, like that and speak over me. I've been muting sniffles and huge gulps of cough syrup. You're really oh, drunk right now, aren't you? I really am. I really am, which is bad because I had Kahlua this morning. I have found the joy <laughs> that is Kahlua. It's like drinking Hershey's syrup. It's, it's going to be fun when you go to ed- edit this episode and it's all new to you. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, and I, right. on top of that, I'm using a new process to edit, so I'm able to edit while we record. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right, so you have to tell me about that later. The police at this point are still shooting nonstop into the hotel. And remember, it's not just the gang. There's hostages there, too. So the gang are now protecting the hostages from the police. They're like, tell nobody, get down, stay down, don't get up. It's, Joe a, it's the worst funk song ever. Get down, stay down, <laughs> don't get up. <laughs> yes. So Joe Byrne gets up. Then this is going on for quite a while. And so I, I think at one point, Joe Burns like, eh, I'm, I'm desensitized to it. He gets up during all the shooty, shooting and he goes to give a toast with whiskey. His toast is here's to the bold Kelly gang. But he had been wearing the, the armor too. He had to lift the plate to get a drink that exposed some of his body. That part of his body apparently being his groin where he was shot and then he dies. So give a toast, get shot, get shot in the groin. That's that's a bad day. If you're getting shot in the groin, I don't care. I don't care if it's during a toast. I don't care if it's like, and really there's no good time to be shot in the groin. Like maybe, yeah, if, really. maybe if you have testicular cancer in the right one and it gets blown off, then maybe, but it's still, I would have rather had surgery. <laughs> so this is getting really tense for the hostages. And they're they want out by morning. They're they're freaking. They want out, and so some of them are just out and out leaving. They in this process, the the police kill one child and wound two more. They very nearly shot an infant. It, the the shot went through the the mother's shawl, missing the child by like an inch. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's like beat. Be selective. Obviously, that child is not Ned Kelly. He did not, you know, gain the powers of possession of human bodies and transport into the body of a four-year-old or however old the child was. So maybe don't shoot at children. Maybe when you see the hostages coming out, stop shooting. But then how are we going to kill the hostages? Yeah, right? I mean, you almost think it's a point. Kelly comes back to the hotel but when he finds that Joe Byrne is dead, he goes back to the bush. However, he'd lost too much blood and he still had his armor, which was 90 pounds. But still, he knows that his brother and Steve Hart are still at the hotel. So he goes back. His armor is dented, of course. And as he's going back, he's basically like, it's so cinematic that I need to watch all the movies that are made about this. He's basically like, no, you don't. No, you don't. There's oh. one for with Yahoo Serious that is like supposedly a slapstick comedy. It is total ass cancer. Oh, okay. Well, I'll avoid that one. But yeah, Reckless Kelly. He, Just avoid it like the fucking plague. He's essentially like trudging slash stomping towards them in his armor. They're freaking out, like Scott described earlier, and they're shooting and shooting. But he just keeps 
going. And so there's becomes to them that superhuman aspect to it. And then finally, not a policeman, because they can't do anything in this story, a railway guard realizes there's a weak point that's not armored, his legs. So they he shoots at the legs and the policemen see it and they're like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's okay. Hey Joe. Hey Joe, shoot it, shoot at the legs. Well, at that point, they were all trying to get like the hero shot in. Uh, according yeah. to according to the uh the the book Out of This World, all the police were were trying to get the hero shot. They were trying to get their bullet to go into <clears throat> like the eighth of an inch slit that that Kelly was looking out of in the helmet. Yeah, because everybody, the hero shot equals all that money because mm-hmm. guess what? The reward has not expired yet. It's It expires in like a week or two. <laughs> so it's still active. They are There are 28 bullet wounds. They actually, a, a priest is brought in who gives, delivers the last rites and then goes, turns around and goes toward the hotel uh, kind of just in time. Because the police think that all the hostages have left and just the remaining outlaws, uh, Dan Kelly and Steve Hart, are there. So one of them burns the hotel down. But there's still a hostage in there. And so the priest, this brave priest, goes in with his hands up. He does find Dan Kelly and Steve Hart in like a back room. Their bodies are incinerated. He says later he thinks that they poisoned themselves, but if, if their bodies are incinerated at that point, I don't know. Uh, the last hostage does get out with the priest's help, uh, but he'd been shot again in the groin by the police. Man, they need to s- fix their aim. And he dies. Ned Kelly does survive, and he is the only one of the core four to survive the siege at Glenrowan. There was sort of a fifth member, Tom Lloyd, his cousin who would help them out a lot. And they, they kind of considered him one of them. He, but he wasn't really uh, in the, in the thick of things here. Now I do uh, have, I do have why the priest thought they committed suicide. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Um, it was father Matthew Gibney. Um, and he gave evidence in 1881, to the Royal Commission. So he said that he believes they they poisoned themselves because the bodies lay side by side, heads propped on folded blankets. Okay. All right. So it was kind of like, let's, let's lay down and die, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. That does make, that does make sense. Thank you. Joe Byrne's mother. Remember, uh, Joe Byrne was the one who shot his best friend. His mother had always supported the gang but she, she just couldn't accept that Joe had killed his, his longtime best friend, and she, she refused to claim Burns' body. Pretty, wow. pretty hard yeah. to deal with there. I mean, kid grows up with your, with your son. He's like a member of the family, and you don't want to, you know, you're, she was probably already devastated at his death and at her son's hands. And then he, that's, that's, that's rough. That's really rough to deal with as, as a mother, I'm sure. Then we have a trial, of course. Now, the judge is one Sir Redmond Barry. He had also been the one who sentenced Mrs. Kelly. And he'd said back then, he'd said, I want, essentially, I want Ned Kelly to hang. I'd like to be the one to make sure that happens. He's, 
he's got a no bias whatsoever here. Right. Very, very impartial. There are some shenanigans in the trial. There was some possible perjury from a constable. The judge gave the jury some instructions that were a little on the incorrect side. They come back with a guilty verdict. The judge says to Ned, upon giving him a sentence of death, and may the Lord have mercy on your soul. And Ned said back, I will see you there where I go. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classy see you in hell. Yeah. And uh, he, he very well might have because uh, 12 days after Ned's hanging, which we're going to get into in a second, Judge Barry died. <laughs> I know. So, I love that. Yeah. A carbuncle on his neck and congestion in his lungs. He was 67 years old. So kind of elderly by that day's survival standards, life expectancy and all that. But still, there's also the fact that if he was that ill, should he have been presiding over this this trial? That's a question, you know? Well, he shouldn't have been anyway. Yeah. Really. I mean, yeah, it, it, exactly. There's, there's, That's not the first reason. <laughs> it's just another one. So the uh, hanging happens 13 days after the sentence is delivered on November 11th, 1880. Ned is, Ned is hung, but there was a rousing public opinion that is against it. Over 32,000 people signed a petition against the sentence of hanging. They had marches, they had public meetings, but in the end, it still happened. His mother's last words to him were said to be, Mind you die like a Kelly, son. Which is that's this is that family that's through and through. That's that's that statement is I believe it because I think it's one hundred percent this family. <laughs> and his last words are said to be okay, it's there's I'm gonna give you two sentences. It's either one, the other, or both. So A, B, or all of the above. Ah well, I suppose it has come to this. Such is life. And uh Fun note, he was hung by an Englishman who'd been sentenced to the crime, sentenced to Australia for the crime of that bastard. He stole chickens. Stole or <laughs> fucked? Stole. Okay. I mean, I don't know what he did with them after he stole them, but he definitely, like, according to them, he stole them. Who knows? Maybe he didn't even steal them. You could easily get somebody out of the country who was bugging you, who you didn't like for whatever reason, who you had a vendetta against. You could easily get them thousands of miles away just by accusing them and then finding some way to whip up a, the, the slimmest bit of proof that they stole a couple of freaking chickens. Dude, and I bet you could very easily do that. You know how you do that? You pick up your chickens, you put them in your neighbor's yard. Just by <laughs> and then a, you say, look, he stole my chickens. Just buy a dozen eggs and wait. I mean, it's that simple. <laughs> yeah. No, but they didn't even need proof. All like As long as they were accusing an Irishman, that's all they needed. Yeah, that is true, too. Yeah. So... Of course, there is a death mask made, and they do a dissection, but it's illegal. That caused some, some uproar, because there is a lot in this time period in both England and Australia and some in America. There is a, a lot of taboo around any sort of, whether it be real or perceived, desecration of a corpse. And dissection is largely considered to be desecration, which really 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 fucking hindered medical progress just saying so and 
that he's buried in a mass grave at the jail. He wouldn't stay there. We'll we'll get there because there's a, a few things in between. So the, the crimes rebellion, just keep happening, people. The crimes do. You actually, for some reason, I, I'm used to this, but you startled me and I jumped a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it felt very sudden or I was very into what I was saying. And I was like, oh, wow, there, there's another person here. There's two other people here. It just I, I got lost for a moment. Christy <laughs> is sent to the Australia for the crime of minuscule tinkling during during yeah. surprise. Yeah. Send her, send rusty zippers to the jail. <laughs> Jesus. That's definitely not my porn name. <laughs> Certainly <laughs> hope not. So. Or maybe maybe only- that's the way you make a lot of money. It's my OnlyFans account. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the rebellion didn't die with him. Uh, especially after they still gave out that 8,000 pound reward, which like I said, was about a week or so from expiring when the Glen Rowan incident went down. There was a 1970 movie starring Mick Jagger, which he later claimed that he never saw. So, but he was probably on a lot of drugs, both when he was filming it and if, if he later watched it. You know, my favorite part of the Ned Kelly movie was whenever my head popped open and the lizard jumped out and said, have a nice day, everyone. I thought that was a nice personal touch. <laughs> there was also a 2003 Heath Ledger movie. There was a book about him that won the Man Booker Prize in 2001. That's a very prestigious one. And there's another prize that's given out for excellence in true crime and uh, crime fiction. It's called the Ned Kelly Awards. I love that. I love that. Yeah. He's really considered a sort of folk hero. This is from Joe Rydal, Ritali, something like that, who is the State Library of Victoria's Collection Services Manager. It's part of the Italian psyche to be big supporters of the underdog. We're very much enamored of rogues and rebels. The library has armor, guns. They have uh, like armor as in Ned Kelly's armor. I should specify. It's not just random armor that they grab from a passing knight. Um, they also have his sash. <laughs> the sash, yes. They have memorabilia from the 1970 movie. And they have, a, I'm sure, probably a couple different activities for kids. But one of the activities kids can do is they make a Ned Kelly helmet out of paper. Oh. Very, very sweet. And then people shoot them in the legs with rubber bands. <laughs> make it come make it realistic. Mm-hmm. The towns that figured in the story make a lot of tourism money from this. And back in Ireland, he got his own stamp in 2001. Uh-huh. I love that. It was at one point when I was Googling, I typed in Ned Kelly and I went to type something else and stamp came up as a suggested word. And I was like, okay, now I have to look at this. And so, remember how I said he was buried at the jail in a mass grave in 2010. There were some other shenanigans in between, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, In 2010, they found his remains with the help of DNA. And in 2013, he was finally buried with his mother. The grave is still unmarked because they're some worried about vandalism because... And despite the fact that this really fuels tourism dollars and it was 150 years ago almost, there's still some people have some bitterness and anger towards descendants in the area. There's still a little bit of dissension. So even to this day, still a little bit of a decisive figure. 
de- decisive. Damn it, divisive. A divisive figure. Very good. Decisive and divisive. Both he, works. I, I just messed it up. More cough syrup for me. <laughs> but yeah, again, again, I did it. I did it again. <sighs> Both work. I, I say the wrong word, but it's also the right word. So that is everything I have on Ned Kelly. Do you guys have anything else? I, that's a great job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you're so messed up on cold scoffs. I really I'm am. Like, I'm like, he doesn't even. I could have just sat here and gone, like, um, for an hour and a half, and Scott would be like, "That was a great job." I, I mean, oh, sorry, the the only thing I have, the only thing I have, and it, it's barely worth mentioning, during the Great Depression. Uh, the Bayside City Council built a, a built a wall to protect the local beaches from erosions. So where do we get the stones? They're taken from the outer walls of the old Melbourne jail and included the headstones of those who were executed and buried. So Kelly's gravestone uh, is actually uh, in this wall someplace facing inward. Oh, wow. That's unbelievable. And that's Holy the only shit. other thing that I have. Wow. Amber, you have anything else? Um, the only other thing I had was uh, somebody had mentioned that if Kelly was actually tried today and had proper legal representation, he never would have been put in jail or accused of murder. You know, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of this happened um, as a result of whatever the hell Fitzpatrick was up to, which is still very unclear. But it's unclear whether he was even whether Kelly was even there. And so you you could definitely make the argument that, you know, first of all, uh, some of his previous cases, he probably would have ended up getting getting away without a charge or pleading down or something if that was possible then. And then just the very fact that what happened with Fitzpatrick at his house, you know, like (laughs) That I could easily see a, a competent lawyer managing to, to sway a jury with, with all those competing narratives. Your Honor, what the fuck? <laughs> Indeed. What the honest fuck? Yeah. But so. like, honestly, that, that was part of the reason that he was looked up to because he, he and his family were being wronged and he stood up to that. So, like, so he's a folk hero for the poor. But then all the the police families are like, he's just a criminal. Yeah, you do have. um, I I don't think we've seen that anywhere recently. Uh, (laughs) But but yeah, you do have that. And still a little bit today that that division between opinions, between the, the people who couldn't stand up for themselves like the the people around Ned Kelly who looked up to him and and said that that's that's what we need more of around here because I first of all I got sent over here for s- stealing a, a, a goddamn pigeon <laughs> I didn't even know you could own pigeons I thought they just flew around but I got sent over here for that and now after I did seven years of of jail now I'm out here and I got the cops up my ass and I can't even own a horse. So yeah, I think we should stand up. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of how, how I feel the they were feeling that time. And then you had you had so much friction between the selectors and the squatters, between the English and the Irish, there's yeah, between upper and lower class. It's just it was a pot that was going to boil 
And unfortunately, it, Ned Kelly just got caught up in it, I think. And But he was the type of personality that wasn't going to let it bring him down until the very end. Indeed. It was... Man, Ned Kelly's like one of those... You wanted it to end differently. Yeah, absolutely. But given the time period, it's unfortunate. But we can look back and say, yeah, I can pretty much see how it would end that way with all the circumstances around him. He yeah. couldn't see it at that point in time. He was hopeful. He was going to start his own damn government. <laughs> it was like <laughs> with blackjack and hookers, you know? So, yeah. So that is Ned Kelly. All right. I've mentioned the social media, old-timey, crimey. You can come visit us, Facebook, Twitter. And, oh, don't forget about our merch. We are over on oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com if you get there and you see some like not safe for work or something you know like image just click on it it's fine there's nothing super dirty except for that one picture of scott's balls but i didn't put it there okay so blame him ariana's pumps are looking nice (laughs) so ariana's what pumps oh god okay her shoes I no, no. The word sounded like the word that the Australians sling around a lot. Ah, okay. <laughs> That's why I said, "Oh God!" I was like, I was relieved. <laughs> so, all right. So yeah, and oh, if you're not the Patreon type, you don't really want to. It's not really a long-term relationship. It's a month-to-month relationship. But if you don't even want that, you just want to slide us a couple of bucks on the nightstand. That's fine. You can do that, and we will do the exact same thing we would do with our Patreons on the show. We will give you a shout-out. You can be one of our private dicks. Just send us some money on PayPal, any amount, uh, at oldtimeycrimey at paypal.com. And uh, don't forget to tell a friend. Tell a friend about the show. If you like it, they'll like it. And we certainly have a lot of material for them to binge. Many, many hours of enjoyment and filthy words. One of these days, I'm going to write these things down again so that I know all of my bullshit because I get to the end of my bullshit and I'm like, I think that's the end of my bullshit, but maybe it's not. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm just done with my bullshit. So that's all mine. Uh, So, guys, what are we doing this week? Uh, Getting dirty looks from Mariana. She just opened the door and stared me down. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do? Well, apparently I said about something about her pumps and the door just opened slowly and she looks at me and then closes. Don't you touch my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I said they were looking nice. She knows what you're going to do. Yeah, that's true. She's hoping for it. <laughs> okay, then. Amber, what are you up to? Um, I'm cooking a lot this week. Um, so that and work and um, trying to keep my house in some sort of order. But uh, nothing exciting since I don't actually leave here. Yeah, pretty much same here. Um, uh, I'm relaxing a little bit because I just finished up an article for one of a friend of the show, Chris Garcia's zines. I wrote about Robert Matthews, a uh, cult leader for his issue that's going to come out on cults. I have no idea when it's going to come out. So I'm like doing horrible, horrible job at promo. Uh, And yeah, just general, just general stuff, I guess. I don't have any specific plans. I'm going to, I'm going to read probably a lot for the show, but maybe some of my own reading. Uh, we actually, we mentioned, we have an interview that by this point in time, by the time this comes out, will have been probably come out a couple weeks ago. But we mentioned 
When we were talking with uh, Brian and Lauren from Transatlantic History Ramblings, they mentioned Alison Weir, as she's a, a, a very well-known author of British history. And uh, I actually have been reading one of her books <laughs> so <laughs> for like a while now because I, I don't have a whole ton of time for personal reading. It's a lot of true crime. So yeah, I've been working on the the Lost Tudor Princess and working my way through that. Very detailed uh, and very very interesting. I'm I'm actually kind of probably going to go read it after the show because I'm ex- excited to see what happens next. And I won't look it up. So <laughs> that's the one thing about reading like history and re- like listening to true crime is I always I'll be I'll be listening to something and I want to see pictures, but the second you look something up. You're spoiled, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I always have to wait. I'm like, just wait until it's done, and then you can look it up, and you can see the pictures, and you can insert that into your narrative of what you just heard. So yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing, and I might try doing some cross-stitch and embroidery, I guess, because uh, I feel the need to do some something artistic. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing this this week. And, well, listeners... That's about our show, I believe. I keep feeling like I'm forgetting something, but uh, I guess not. So thank you, as always, for listening to our filthy words. We hope you have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. Back in the battle days again. Bye. Toodles, me bugaloos. Bye. My sources this week are Phil Mercer on the BBC, Wikipedia, visit wongarada.com.au, Irish Central, the State Library of Victoria, Benalla Ensign and Farmers and Squatters Journal, and the Melbourne Argus via Trove. I love those Australian newspaper titles. The Ned Kelly exhibit on Google Arts and Culture, Gabe Paoletti on All That's Interesting, and ironoutlaw.com. I like that. I, I missed that one. My sources this week are irishcentral.com, the website that gets drunk and fights you, uh, wikipedia.org, britannica.com, slv.vic.gov.au, and visit wangarata.com.au, and of course, uh, I, I use it all the time, Out of This World, the Illustrated Library of the Bizarre and the Extraordinary. My sources this week are slv.vic.gov.au, bbc.com by Phil Mercer, nma.gov.au, visitmelbourne.com, and ironoutlaw.com. <laughs>